Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracedeugene.com. Here's the podcast. Last week, we started off our new sermon series titled The Helper, a sermon series about the person of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how the person of the Holy Spirit can often be discounted or undervalued or domesticated. And we unpacked some of that. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit is, in fact, a person, the third person of the Trinity, fully equal and fully amazing in all ways to the Father and the Son. And then we ended the message just simply asking, like, would we posture ourselves to receive all that God has for us, to be open to how he would work in our lives and through our lives and how he has a plan and a purpose in this world. So it's about our heart posture. That's kind of where we closed it. And in the following weeks, we're going to dig into all kinds of stuff. We're going to dig into the specific ways in which the Bible tells us and we see the Holy Spirit working through his people in the way of spiritual gifts and uh, in spiritual warfare and in mission and community and all these ways in which the Holy Spirit is the helper for the lifestyle of the Christian that is following the way of Jesus. That is what we are going to continue to dig into in the following weeks. Um, but to help us kind of get on track for today, <clears throat> I wanted to share this, this illustration with you guys. I know that some of us in this room, this season of life may be further off than others, but I can remember when I was finishing up high school, whew, finishing up high school, and one of the prerequisites to graduation, and this was a pilot program when I was in school, but I think it's you know been around for a while now, is you have to complete a certain number of job shadows. Has anybody ever done like job shadows? Okay, a few of us. Uh-oh, this is going to be half. Um, so a job shadow is when they say, hey, we want you to go spend a day in some sort of industry or job or position with somebody that maybe you are interested in what they do. And so some people would do a job shadow with a nurse. I did mine at the Detroit Dam with a civil engineer, and I went through and got to spend the day looking at all the behind-the-scenes stuff with there. Um, with there at, at the dam. And then I did another one with a teacher athletic director because I was like, do I want to be really good at physics and math or do I want to work with kids and coach? And so I did these job shadows in these different areas. And part of that is you just spend a day observing, like what does this lifestyle look like? What is the fruit of somebody who does this? And that's what they tell you when you go for your job shadow, like, hey, don't just go and look at all the things that are cool. Like, evaluate what the lifestyle of this person seems to look like. What is the fruit of the role they play in their everyday jobs? Because if this is something that you're trying to get intel, you're trying to understand what a life in this person's shoes looks like, and you may make a $40,000, $50,000 decision to get educated to go do this thing, you should know what that lifestyle looks like, what it actually looks like to walk out that job. And so we did that, and then you kind of make a choice, and you go to college, right? And you get your training, and all of your, you know, depending on your job, you don't just have your degree, but you have board exams and different certifications that you have to get uh, outside of schooling. And then you get to your job, and you realize that all that stuff was just kind of 
like red tape you had to get through and now you have to relearn everything again because you're really on the job, right? Can I get an amen? Anybody experience that? Like you do all the training for your job and then you start the job and it's like, I got to learn this all again. And there's this progression of how we are educated, how we understand the lifestyle that we desire to have and what we are pursuing to do with our lives as a mission of sorts in this job, but also that would yield the fruit that we want to yield from our lives. Now, in that kind of illustration, today I want to apply those lenses to how we evaluate what it looks like to live life with the Holy Spirit, a job shadow of sorts, and an education of sorts. And then what does it look like to get your on-the-job training? And I believe the best way to do that is to start off looking at the person of Jesus. We know that Jesus lived fully with the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. He modeled what it looked like to live a life style full of the Holy Spirit, walking with the person of the Holy Spirit. And then we need to look at what Jesus teaches us, kind of our technical training, our education. What does Jesus say about the person of the Holy Spirit and how he will play a role in our lives? So we see how Jesus lived, we receive what he teaches us, and then we need to see how the Holy Spirit operates after Jesus ascends to heaven and the disciples get their on-the-job training, right? It's like, okay, we saw how Jesus worked. We received his teaching, but now he's gone and we got to do this thing. We got to faithfully walk out this lifestyle that God has called us to live. And today we're going to walk through that journey as we kind of take a look at what does it look like to have a lifestyle walking with, full of, participating in the work of the Holy Spirit right here, right now, today. Amen? That's what we are going to look at. But before we start, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. So Father, would you help us to receive your word? God, I pray that you would give us a clear vision of what it looks like to live a lifestyle full of, in cooperation with, and submission to the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that the Bible is clear of what that looks like. Would you help us to understand that today? And would you empower my words to be received and to lead to application? So we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So first of all, in this journey we're going on today, how was life with the Holy Spirit demonstrated by Jesus? Now, luckily for us, we don't have to venture outside of Mark chapter 1 to get a really holistic view of what this looks like. If you like to read along, you can go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1 now. It'll also be on the screens. But we get a solid look of Jesus's life in relation to the personal Holy Spirit just in the first book or first chapter of the book of Mark. Now, it starts out in Mark 1, 7, 8. And we have John the Baptist speaking, and he's talking to people who are like, oh, are you the Messiah? Are you the guy? And he's like, after me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 9, it continues, and it says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. 
And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels attended to him. So this is like the first interaction we see of Jesus with the Holy Spirit. We know that he's baptized in water. He receives John's baptism. And then immediately as he's coming up, he sees the heavens split, it says, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, signified by this coming down of a dove. So baptized in water, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then God the Father immediately addresses his identity. Isn't that cool that like he submits to this baptism, he's baptized in water, he receives the spirit of God, and then God immediately deals with his identity. He says, this is my son, and with him I am well pleased. He's got to be feeling good after that, right? Okay, we're good, here we go, here we go. And then it says, and then immediately the spirit sent him out, sent him out. He sent him into the desert. So he's saved. He's not saved. Whoa, he erased that. He is baptized. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> and this is all live, so we can't take it out of the recording. Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water, filled with the Holy Spirit. God confirms his identity, and then he is sent out into the desert where he was tempted Man, it took me years to wrap my mind around. Wait, Jesus is tempted? What is Huh? Like, how, how is Jesus, Son of God, God incarnate, God in the flesh, like, tempted? Because for so many years, my paradigm of temptation is that it equated to sin. Amen? Like, how many of us were, like, raising that? Like, man, if I'm tempted, I've screwed up. Like, I've messed up. And so instead of saying this and saying, well, no, Jesus was tempted, but he didn't give into it. He didn't sin. Instead of taking that and imposing that standard on my life, I spent all these years thinking, like trying to impose how I viewed it onto the life of Jesus. Like I was trying to reverse engineer, but the reality is the Bible tells us Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin. So if you're in here this morning and the devil is telling you that temptation equates to sin, I believe the Spirit of God wants to free you from that lie this morning because not giving in to temptation is a victory in the battle that the enemy tries to bring to our front doors. Amen? Now, don't go asking to be tempted. Trust me. That's not the route that I am promoting here this morning. But what I am saying is the devil tries to bring condemnation and he tries to beat you down and tell you, oh, that thought went through your mind and so you're broken, you're messed up. How dare you? In the meantime, you just let it keep passing right through and you actually saw victory in a moment that the devil wants to bring you condemnation. Jesus was tempted. He never sinned. He lived the perfect life. If you are struggling with that this morning, may God free you from that in the name of Jesus. And then it says, angels attended to him. And this was an active word attended. It wasn't like, oh, the, the angels hovered above and like they just kept an eye on him. We can think of that way as like angels, right? Like, oh, So yeah, they were up there and they were like, oh, Jesus is down there in the desert. But it says they attended to him. And the original word is that they literally watched out for, they protected, they came alongside of him in these moments. So that's the initiation of Jesus's life with the spirit here on earth. And then in verse 14, it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
So we're just building, we're accumulating all of these things that a lifestyle Jesus modeled with the Holy Spirit looked like. And this next one is Jesus is proclaiming the good news. He's proclaiming the good news, the gospel. The Spirit is empowering him to declare this amazing news to those that he would come into contact with. And it continues in verse 16. It says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Jesus then calls others into this discipleship relationship of following him and also gathering and teaching others to live this lifestyle. He says, I'm going to teach you to fish for men. He's not just saying, hey, come follow me and receive and consume everything I have for you. He says, come follow me, and I'm going to teach you to fish for men. I'm going to teach you to catch men with the gospel. I'm going to teach you to catch others with the gospel. He draws others into this cause. He gives them a purpose bigger than themselves. Amen? How many people are chasing after purposes that are bigger than themselves but barking up the wrong trees? How many people are searching to try to be a part of something bigger, something that is more meaningful than just their individual life, but they're searching outside of what God has for them? He gives them a purpose bigger than themselves. He draws them in to a cause. And then as it continues in Mark 1, 21 through 28, we see Jesus driving out impure spirits and demons. He's bringing people freedom from these lies, from this demonic possession that is happening. And then in 29 through 34, he was healing many, and the word was spreading about what he was doing, and he brought more people into a place of freedom through delivering them from demonic possession. Jesus was fighting this spiritual battle that existed in the flesh right before him, restoring people's lives onto a path of truth, free from the lies of the enemy. He was functioning in his purpose, simultaneously modeling it to these other men he was calling along that he would teach to also catch others with this good news. And then in verse 35, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. A life with alongside, filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, also spends time with the Father. There's communion, there's conversation, there's intimacy with the Father. It's not just all mission. Jesus was out seeing things happen. He was helping get people freedom. He was teaching others what this gospel news, this kingdom of God looked like on earth. And then he gets up early to go be with the Father, to get refilled, to, to maintain that intimacy with him, to make sure that he was connected in a meaningful way. Jesus modeling a life full of and coming alongside with the person of the Holy Spirit looked like all of these things. Now, there's various other ways and parts of the scripture that we could look to make this even a broader spectrum, but I think we get the point. And what I love about this is, like I said, this is verses 7 through 35 in Mark chapter 1. Like, 
if you've never went through the book of Mark, it is just rapid pace. It just goes for it, right? Um, but I love that we have this case study, if you will, uh, that encompasses what a life with the Holy Spirit is modeled to be through the person of Jesus. And I think that we would be severely missing something if we didn't frequently come back to Mark chapter 1 and make sure that our lives look at least similar in some way to this. Because Jesus is modeling this lifestyle for us. He's showing us what it looks like to live a vibrant, faith-filled life full of the Spirit of God operating, giving us purpose, giving us a mission, something bigger than ourselves, seeing freedom brought to other people. This is amazing news that he gives us his Spirit to be able to live our lives like this. Now, if you were to look at that first chapter and be like, man, that just, I mean, a chapter of the gospel, that's probably a day, right? I would not urge you to do all of that in one day or try to, okay? This is an account that is put into this gospel. This is not meant to put pressure on you like, oh my gosh, you're not supposed to be Jesus. You're not supposed to keep up with Jesus. You're supposed to do your best by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that every day looks more and more like his, amen? And this is a model of what that ultimately looks like. So that's what he modeled. That's what his life looked like. That's our, our job shadow of sorts. And I don't know about you guys, but if that's my job shadow, I'm like, okay, a little intimidating, but I'm in. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I mean, he's had a lot of time up there with God to like flush out all his skill set and everything. But like, I'm in. That's, that's a life that I, I can get excited about that, seeing people experience freedom, being a part of something bigger, being empowered, called to mission. Like, I, I'll sign up. I'll, I'll go to college. I'll get my educational training for that. <clears throat> and then the next question we said we were going to look at is what did Jesus command or what did he teach regarding the Holy Spirit? We'll start out in that looking at Luke 24, starting in verse 45. It says, Then he opened their minds so they could understand scriptures. He told them, This is what is written The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all, everybody say all, to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So he's saying, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to rise on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name everywhere, but starting in Jerusalem where I'm having you all wait for this power from on high to come. And you will see these things. You will be witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what God the Father has promised. In the context of this sermon series, I'm going to send you the helper. Other translations say things like the advocate the comforter, I'm going to send him what my father has promised, but wait in the city for the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, 4 through 8, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will be immersed with, filled with, 
totally consumed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And I, every time I read through this, I make myself just sit back and ask a question like, what would have this felt like if you were one of his guys that was walking with him? If you were one of his people, one of the, the men or women that were walking with him. And he's like, all right, I'm going to go. But wait, because you're going to get this gift, but I'm about to leave. I am about to leave. Imagine the questions running through their head. They already had to confront some like insecurities and fears when he was crucified, right? They already had to deal with some of that. Then he came back. And he's like, you guys, I told you this was going to happen, but they're a little dense. And now he's getting ready to ascend. And he's like, hey, I'm going to go. And like, they're, they're trying to figure out what does this look like? What does this mean for us? So when are you going to reestablish the kingdom? Like, when are you going to finalize all of this stuff? And he says, that's not for you to know. This is what the father set by his own authority. Y'all are missing the point. The point is when the spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses everywhere. You're going to be witness. You're going to bear witness to what you saw, what you experienced, to the truth that I taught you, that I modeled for you everywhere that you go. What is a witness? If this is so important, then we see this at the end of Luke, and we see this here in Acts again. I think we should understand what a witness is. A witness is an individual who, having observed something take place, is able to give an accurate and full account of what happened. It's just basic, like, dictionary definition of a witness. And he says, you guys will receive power from the Holy Spirit and you go everywhere and give an accurate and a full account of what you have seen, having yourselves observed it. Like, it's not the point about when, like, this is all going to be complete and the governments are going to shift and all these things that they think are supposed to happen. He's saying, no, 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 you're missing the point. I'm leaving I'm going to fill you with the Spirit of God, and you are going to go and bear witness of everything that you have observed, experienced, to anyone who would have ears to hear it. Now, we all have those things that, like, we've witnessed, right? But people wouldn't believe in there unless there was, like, other folks also that witnessed it, right? Like, the huge fish that Matt caught or whatever else it may be. Like, you're, I need witnesses to be able to say, hey, no, I was there. I observed that. I, I saw that. I also experienced that. And we also have those things that we've experienced that others wouldn't believe unless there was someone there to bear witness to it. Like, we, we understand this. Like, no, I, I think I'd like to hear from somebody that was there before I totally buy into that, to that story. You follow me on this? Like, we can understand the importance of a witness and sharing of stories or testifying of what different things we've experienced or have happened. Now, in November of 2010, I had a couple of friends who happened to witness this girl visiting me from Iowa, from the cornfields of Iowa, and had they not seen it with their own eyes, I don't know if I would have been able to convince folks that I met this beautiful young woman online, and she actually came and visited me. I just, I don't think they would have, like, nobody would have believed me if I didn't have people there to bear witness. 
But I had a couple friends that I made sure to introduce her with so they knew she was real. <laughs> and two of those guys within the next year also met their future wives and got married the same way. Because they're like, man, I bear witness that this worked for Zoner, and I'm in. <laughs> Sign me up. E-harmony, here we come. And uh, so the, we've all experienced these things in our lives. We're like, people, it bears witness, and then it can actually contribute to other people's lives. Like, it can work in other people's lives. And I had the privilege of marrying one of those couples and being the best man in the other wedding, but it came because they bared witness to whatever the heck miracle God was working in my life that I would be able to marry Bree. And then they're like, well, here we go. We should do this because they bared witness. They experienced it. They testified to what they saw. The power of witness is huge. And Jesus says that this power from on high will work through us to yield powerful witness to what we have seen and what we have experienced. This power from on high will clothe us and empower us, urge us to bear witness to all that we see, all that we know he does and is doing in this world. This is what Jesus is teaching us about a life full of and walking with the Spirit of God is that we will bear witness to what we have seen, what we have heard, what we know to be true about who he is. And then how do we see the Holy Spirit operate after Jesus ascends? I'd urge you on your own time, read through Acts, and you can see this in you know, a, a longer narrative. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. The Spirit of God came upon them, filled them, and it was accompanied by sounds, by wind, and by these supernatural gifts, these supernatural gifts of grace, empowering them to do things that before they weren't able to. So they were speaking in tongues or languages, and people were amazed that they were hearing like their language from their home, from their region, coming out of these people that were from many, and they were from many places. And then in Acts 2.13, it says, Some, however, made fun of them and said, well, These guys have had too much wine. Because how often do we try to just dispel things we can't understand and we just ride it off to some earthly circumstance instead of it being the power of God moving, right? And so they're seeing this and like, oh, These guys must be drunk. Like, how, on, how has this happened? We've never seen anything like this before. And then this is how Peter responds. In verse 14, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. He says, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is, not, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Joel. 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Peter responded to this criticism, to this writing off to circumstances move of God that people were like, no, that's, that's weird. They must be drunk. And he's like, no, 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 no. Don't get it twisted. Here is what is happening. And he preaches truth right from the scriptures. He got up and he preached and he put into context for them what was happening all around them. How many times do we find ourselves in situations where we are bewildered by what is happening around us? Maybe it's a move of people, but oftentimes it can be a move of God. And we can't wrap our minds around, we're like, what is happening? And God empowers somebody in the mix of that to help put into context for what's happening. We might call it a word of knowledge. We might call it a prophetic word. We might call it a word of wisdom. Whatever you want to call it, God speaks through somebody and helps you understand what he's doing, how he's moving, puts into context what is happening. That's what happened here. People were confused. They're like, what is happening? I'm hearing all this different stuff. And the human response, all too often, is to minimize powerful, supernatural moves of God. And so Peter gets up, and he preaches and prophesies, and he says, no, 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 no. Here's what is going on. Y'all know the Old Testament. You should know, you should be expecting this to happen. It was prophesied. It was prophesied. Spirit of God works to put things into context that he is doing in our midst. That's why we need to be listening, asking him to work in us, to speak to us, to contextualize the experiences we are having, to contextualize the times we are in and what it looks like to faithfully walk out of life following him and filled with his presence. Then in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So we see this as apostles are going around, as these disciples are going around establishing the early church. They're going to places, preaching the gospel. People are saved. They receive John's baptism or they are baptized in water. And then they lay hands on them for them to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, to get filled, immersed with the power and presence of God. Because especially these Sumerians, these were people that they thought were as far from God as they could get, right? These were like the Gentiles of the Gentiles to the Jewish people. They didn't, they didn't know anything about this or what was available to them. They weren't connected to what had happened back in Jerusalem at Pentecost. This was new news to them. So the disciples are helping them to understand what is available and what God wants to do in them and through them. They placed hands on them and they prayed for them and they received the power of God. And then in Acts 10, 44, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who had heard the message. Now this is happening as Peter was bearing witness to all that Jesus had done and was telling about how the power of the Holy Spirit had been spreading since Jesus left. And he was sharing this with Cornelius, who was a commander in the Roman military at his home. He's sharing this with the commander of the Roman military. He's sharing all that Jesus had done and what the Spirit of God was doing. And then it just, the Spirit of God just fell upon them. He just fell upon them, all who had heard 
the message. So we see this thread after Jesus ascends of the gospel message transforming lives, leading people to repentance, and the power of God coming upon them and empowering them to preach, to hear words from the Lord, to do all these other things that we'll talk more about next week. But we see this is the pattern after Jesus lives or ascended. So we saw what it looked like when Jesus modeled a life with the Holy Spirit. We looked at what he taught, and now we see once he ascends, how this plays out in the establishment of the early church. And we see that people are being filled, being empowered, that it's going to not just Jewish people, but everybody. The Holy Spirit, as they lay hands and as they preach the gospel, is falling upon and filling everybody who hears it. Now, if you're anything like me, you say, okay, that's cool. That's what the Bible says. Great. But why? Like, why? This, this, if, if we dissect this, there's some weird stuff in here. And if you go back and you read it in detail on your own, it's like, I cannot wrap my mind around this. I do not have a human fleshly category to fully comprehend what is happening here. Well, that's okay. It's God. We talked about that last week. You're not supposed to be able to fully comprehend all the things of him. That's why we need faith. But why did he model this lifestyle, teach about it, and pour out the Spirit of God on the believers as they established the early church upon his ascension to heaven? It's because they had a purpose and a mission that they could not fulfill without the helper working in them. That's why. It's not so they could boast and be like, yeah, check out my spiritual gift resume. You want to see my spiritual gift assessment? Yeah, it's over there. I posted on my wall. It's in the frame. Like, that's, that's not why he, he came and he's filling people and working through people. It's because they had a purpose. They had a mission that they could not fulfill without help. Amen? We have a mission that we cannot fulfill. We cannot walk out without the presence of God working in us. We have no business trying to do it on our own. Because then, even if some moments are successful, then we just become prideful. And in the reality, most moments, we are just significantly under-equipped on our own to live the way God calls us to live and to actually help lead people closer to him. We need his presence empowering us and working through us. We need him working in us and through us. I know you guys have never heard this passage here at this church before, but their purpose our purpose is summarized in Matthew 28. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus talking. Therefore, you go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Hey, authority has been given to me, and here's your mission. Here's your standing orders as I leave you. Your standing orders. Go make disciples of everybody. Not just certain regions or nationalities, right? Not just a certain people group. Everybody gets this good news. Go teach it to them. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the end of the age. He will be with us always by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Like I said earlier, I can't think of a better lifestyle to model and want to live than the one Jesus lived when he was here on earth. 
I'm grateful that he teaches about who the Holy Spirit is, that he says, it's, it's best for you that I go because I'm going to send the helper, the advocate, the counselor. Like You're going to be clothed with power from on high. Instead of the Holy Spirit being contained in me while I'm on earth doing amazing things, he's going to be released to live in all of you. Like He's going to be working through every person that professes Jesus as Lord and Savior, that receives him, that is repentant and is following him. Like He's making himself available to dwell in each of us, to empower each of us. And that is great news. But it's not just so that we can feel good about ourselves and make sure that we're okay for eternity because we know who the Holy Spirit is. Yes, that is great. Be confident in your salvation as you put your faith in Jesus. Absolutely. But it is for a purpose. Make no mistake that we don't just receive. We are a vessel that Jesus works through by the power of his spirit to help bring people to him, to help them understand how he's moving in their life, to put into context his moving on earth to them. We have a mission and a purpose that we need help with. We need help. And he gives us the helper to dwell in us, to empower us, to work through us. And this is amazing news. So when you, if you're anything like me, you read the Bible and you're like, I'm supposed to live that way? How can I measure up? Well, A, you don't have to get there right away. It's not about perfection. It's about the direction of our heart and how we're moving after him, right? So we're, we're on the right track, then that's good. And he empowers us to live that way. It's not something we got to do out of our own flesh. He lives in us. He gives us gifts. He empowers us to do it. So as we close today, like I mentioned, next week, we're going to get into what it looks like. Like, how, how does he fill us? What does the Bible say about that? And what are these gifts that come out of that? But for today, I want us to take it a step further. Last week, I said, would you posture yourselves to receive whatever it is God has for you? Would you posture yourselves to believe that God wants to dwell in you, to work in you, to do something powerful in you? And this week, I would just ask you, as you leave this place, would you open your Bible and read through Acts and see what it is that he does in his early church, in his people? Would you be praying for things that seem like it's, that's too big of a prayer? Would you start praying audacious prayers, believing that God hears him and wants to do something about them? Would you pray that the heart of a dictator would get changed so that a country can experience peace? Well, what if it doesn't happen? It's okay. My God's big enough that I'm okay if everything I pray doesn't get answered. But what if? What if, Pastor Chris, are you saying that your prayers change God's plan? No, absolutely not. But what I am saying is he hears them. And when I pray the heart of God, I know that that brings glory to him. And my faith honors him. And who knows what he might do as the saints prayer and intercede. Amen? Pray big prayers. Have audacious faith about what he might do in you and through you. In the rest of the series, we get to look at maybe some more of the nuts and bolts of how he works through us and what some of those gifts look like and put them in healthy biblical context. But family, would we have an audacious faith that believes that the Spirit of God lives in us, works through us, and wants to change this world that we live in? Amen? That's where I want to leave you today as Casey closes us in prayer.
Lord, it is truly an amazing mission that you've called us to. The lifestyle that Jesus demonstrates for us all throughout the gospel presentations, or we, we want that. What an amazing thing, God, that you have invited us to partner with you in, in bringing healing to this world, declaring the salvation we have in Christ. Lord, it is an amazing thing that you have called us to. It's something that we are so inadequate to do by our own strength. It's something that we will get short, something that we will fall flat, that we will not be able to do by our own strength, by our own wisdom. And so, Lord, we declare that we need you. We humble ourselves before you to say, God, we need your help. We need the helper for this. Because, God, we're eager to see your plans and purposes accomplished in the world around us. And we know that you want to do it in and through us. And so, God, supply us with the power to do so. Give us the wisdom and direction that we don't have within us. God, would you be the power and presence that we need to step up, to live this lifestyle that Jesus modeled and that he's now called us to live. Lord, as we leave this place today, I pray that you would expose our pride, that you would expose our shortcomings, that you would instill in us how inadequate we truly are to do this on our own strength. But would you fill us with hope and joy and faith in remembering that your power is available to reside within each and every one of us so that we can do this with you. For the glory of Christ and with the power of the Holy Spirit, we thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen.